When we concluded our study of the book of Acts, we saw that the Apostle Paul was essentially under house arrest in Rome. Albeit he had sufficient freedom and access to teach and preach the word of God freely. Right? He, was, he was unhindered in doing that. And a few years before he was physically in Rome, while in Corinth, at the end of his third missionary journey, Paul had written a personal letter, an epistle, to the believers in Rome by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, letters were a very popular method of communication during New Testament times, and especially for the early Christians, since they were scattered over a very wide area. So letters were how the apostles could provide pastoral teaching and care, pastoral care, for many local churches at a time. They could send these letters, they would be circulated, they would make copies of the letters and give it to the other churches. You know, so the apostles' letters were to stand in. They were to represent the apostles and their teaching and to establish their presence even if they couldn't be there physically. So they couldn't be there in, in person, but they would send a letter and they would say, this is what I'm telling you. This is what I want you to know. This is representing what the Lord has told me that I'm telling you. Right? So these letters were very important. We've lost that art of letter writing as such. You know, we're down to 140 characters at best, maybe 20 characters typically. But letters were a way in which the communication of the Lord went forth. And so because of that, we have the written word. We have the scriptures available for us Today, the letter of Paul to the Romans is considered a very important theological document telling us about God. But it's not meant to be a comprehensive treatise of all Christian doctrine since it doesn't cover, it doesn't deal with many topics that would be part of a systematic theological study. Instead, the theme of the letter is the gospel the good news about Jesus and the kingdom of God that Jesus established. Jesus said, I have come and the kingdom of God is here. And so the gospel message is all about Jesus and about the kingdom of God that he established. And so the letter of Paul to the Romans is primarily focused on the gospel. Now, when I use the word gospel, I'm not speaking about the four books of the Bible called the Gospels. Those are the written accounts of how, gospel, how the Gospel truths or how the Gospel message about Jesus' earthly ministry was fulfilled. So those are focused strictly on Jesus' earthly ministry and they're giving us that portion of the Gospel message. The Gospel truth is what is conveyed through all Scripture that because sin separated humanity from God, God provided a means of reconciliation through Jesus, who came to this earth as a man, died to pay the penalty of our sins, was buried, and then rose from the dead, establishing victory over sin and death, gave us the Holy Spirit, so that all who believe in him and his atoning sacrifice may be similarly rescued from sin and death, and by the power of the Holy Spirit transforms us daily into his image until we are joined with him 
for eternity. That's a lot. So when you hear the word gospel, it's typically a shorthand for referring to the eternal plan of God for all of humanity, the fulfillment of that plan, humanity's response to the provision and offer of God, the results of accepting by faith the free gift of the grace of God to become his children, and the individual and collective nurturing, maturing of God's children in the body of Christ, the church, by the continuing work, the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. And you could break down every one of those phrases, every one of those truths, and go after those things and study it for the rest of your life and still not be done. That's how vast, really, this gospel truth is, this gospel message is. It is big, it's comprehensive. It is what defines all of life, not just a part. My religious part, my church part of life, my prayer time. It's not just about that. The gospel has to define all of our lives. That we would be people who are defined by the gospel. So, as he presents gospel-centered truth in the book of Romans, in the letter of, to the Romans, um, Paul describes how the Old Testament and the gospel message fit into a single plan of God, start to finish. Right? And we'll see that. We'll see that continuously in the book of Romans. In his communication to the combined group of both Jewish and Gentile believers in Rome, Paul is not only laying out what the gospel is and why it matters, he is describing how children of God can live out the gospel in their daily lives. How they can experience the gospel. Not just learn about the gospel. Right? It's, this is not just, you know, when I describe these things and I say this is, in the, this is gospel, is, when we use the word gospel, it's shorthand for all this. It's not so that we can all then come and say, okay, break that down. Okay, it's, here's the outline. Okay, 17 points. Okay, I've learned four, four out of those 17. I'm good. You know, I'm now I'm 16 out of the seven. Oh, now I've le learned all 17 points. I know the gospel. No, the gospel, the message that we're talking about here, has to be lived out, has to be experienced. And so as we come to the study of any of the books of the Bible, and particularly now as we study Romans, Paul is not focused only on an individualistic expression, but how both Jews and Gentiles, how those who don't have anything in common or who would otherwise be in conflict can come together because of the gospel. And as we study Romans, our prayer, our goal, this is, this is what I'm saying, I'm, I'm stating here at the beginning of this series, and I want you to be praying. Our goal is that the Lord would continue to transform our lives and our church as we live out the gospel. That's the goal. That there must be change. By the end of the series, it shouldn't be that you say, I know a lot more about the book of Romans. By the end of the series, you need to say, I'm a lot different than I was before the series started. That's not because of the power of the series. That's because of the power of the word and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
and the power of God to say, I am interested in transforming your life. I'm not giving you this stuff. Paul didn't write this letter so that you can just read it and say, what, what eloquent words, what wonderful letters, what compassion, what care. No, he's writing so that we may be changed. And so, this morning, as we begin our study, by considering just the first six verses of Romans, I want to make three points that will lay the foundation for the rest of the book. So this morning, let's read Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he puts in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power. Some of your translations will say, was declared with power to be the Son of God. So he was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So let's get right to point number one. The gospel defines who I am. Notice in verse 1 how Paul introduces himself to a group of believers who he hadn't met personally. He didn't really know them. They may have heard of him, he's heard of them, he's met a few of them. But notice how he introduces himself. He introduces himself as a servant, a bond servant. Actually, in Greek, doulos, a slave. He says, I am a slave of Jesus because of the transforming power of the gospel. Second, he says, I am one who has been called as a messenger, an emissary, an apostle, one who is sent to share the gospel message. And three, he says, I am one who is permanently set apart, consecrated, dedicated, for a specific purpose and plan of God for the sake of the gospel. I am a servant of God. I am a slave of Christ because of the gospel's transforming work in me. I am a messenger of God because of the gospel that he has given that I need to share with others. And I am set apart. I'm, I'm, I'm consecrated for God for all eternity permanently in a way that nothing else could separate me from the love of God and from the provision of God. I'm set apart for him for the sake of the gospel. When we studied Luke chapter 22, we saw that when the disciples started arguing after the Last Supper as to who was the greatest, who's the greatest? Uh, Jesus washed and wiped their feet as an example of serving others as a slave. It was the slaves in the household that would do that. And he said, look, I'm, I'm, 
washing your feet. I'm wiping your feet as a slave would because I want to tell you, I want to make it clear to you that if you want to lead or to be great, you have to be humble and serve others. And he's not just referring to a casual service. Ah, let me help you if it's convenient for me. Let me help you with what it would not be sacrificial for me on any, in any way. Let me help you, mm, you know, in some small way. No, he's not saying that. He says, you would serve others like a slave. And, you know, he, Jesus is using what we know about physical slavery to say that when we serve as slaves of Christ, that means that we are exclusively owned by the Master, by the Lord. That we are totally available at any time for service to the Master. Whatever He says, we will do. Whenever He says it, we will do it. Wherever He says to go, we will go. There's no question. There's no talking back. There's only obedience, submission, yielding. And that as slaves, we would be completely dependent on the Master. Now again, as we talked about at that point in time, make sure that you know what the Bible is telling about physical slavery and what it means when these imagery, this imagery is used. And we talked about all of that at that time. I'm not going into those points, but I want to emphasize that Paul is referring to those same things to make his introduction. The first thing he says is what? I am a slave of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul was not in the upper room or for that, there for that Passover meal when Jesus told the disciples that they should serve the Lord just as a slave serves a master. He was not there. In fact, you know, pretty quickly after that, he is persecuting Christians. But it's very clear that Paul receives the same message when he is affected by the gospel. When he is transformed. When he encounters Jesus, clearly Jesus communicates this to him. In whatever way he did, he did. Because Paul says, I am a slave of Christ. And so he identifies first and foremost as a slave of Christ. Now, as we went through the book of Acts, we saw that how Paul behaves as an apostle. How he just, I mean, his boldness, his confidence, his ability to declare the word of God, I mean, tirelessly speaking through the night. I mean, he just functions in that role with no compromise. Right? He goes after that. And he was totally and completely consecrated for the sake of the gospel. Nothing could dissuade him. No, no threats, no, no physical afflictions, no hardships, no uh, inconveniences. Nothing could dissuade him. I mean, he was committed to the Lord, set apart. And so we have all those accounts in the book of Acts. We, we've seen that, right? And the parallel for our lives is abundantly clear. We are to serve the Lord exclusively. We don't serve ourselves, our gains, our ambitions, our selfish ambitions. We don't serve others, right, to please others, to work for others, to do other, for others. We're serving the Lord exclusively. And we certainly don't want to be serving the devil, either consciously or unconsciously, that we're doing what the devil wants. But instead, we serve the Lord exclusively. 
we share the gospel. We live a holy and consecrated life. And as we go through the book of Romans, through the rest of the book of Romans, we will flesh this out. We will see how this is manifested. We'll see how it, what it means to truly live out the gospel. But the important point for now, for this morning, is about our identity. What defines us? What are we known for? When we introduce ourselves to someone who doesn't know us, what do we say? Now, it's a little difficult, of course, to tell an unbeliever that we are slaves of Christ. They have no idea what you're talking about. They're going to back away. Right? And it is foolishness to them. And if you say, hey, my name is Philip, I'm a slave of Christ, and I'm set apart for the gospel, they go, oh, you know. But, they have, and so, so for them, for unbelievers, they first have to hear the gospel, believe the gospel, come to know the very same Jesus, the same Jesus, the Christ, Jesus who is the Messiah, and then they will be able to understand that the next time when you meet them and you say, hey, I'm a slave of Christ and I'm set apart for the gospel, they'll go, oh yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. But, how do we introduce ourselves to those who are in the body of Christ? to other believers, to our fellow Christians. What do we say? How do we introduce ourselves? What do we talk about? Do we tell them? Do we, when, even, you know, when we meet our friends in the Lord, when we meet our, our believers, our fellow believers, maybe somebody we haven't seen for a long time even, what do we introduce, what do we say to them? And especially to those that don't know us. What's our first introduction? I've been serving the Lord for 50 years. Now, I've preached in these many places. I do these things in my church. Now, these many people have said thank you to me because I have been a faithful minister of the Lord. What do we say? How do we introduce ourselves to fellow believers? Do we say to them, hey, I'm a slave of Christ. I do what Christ tells me to do. I'm a slave of Christ. I'm committed to this message of the gospel. I'm set apart to tell others about Jesus. I am worshiping Lord Jesus. And by the way, if we're telling others that's who we are, if that's how we're introducing ourselves, let me ask you this question. Do we mean it? Or do we think, oh, that's the way that I should do it? Right? When I meet the fellow believer, I need to be humble. I need to show that I'm a good Christian. I need to impress them with how well I'm serving the Lord. Is that what you want doing? Is that how you would introduce yourself? Is that how you will speak about yourself? Or do you genuinely, sincerely mean what you're saying? And, very importantly, will the believer that you're speaking to Will your brother, your sister, who also hears from the Lord, who discerns the voice of God for themselves, who is in fellowship with you on a regular basis, will they believe what you have said over a period of time? Will they see your life and say, yeah, this person is a slave of Christ. This person is set apart for the gospel. This person is, is actually genuinely sincere about following Jesus not for living for themselves, not to do what they please. They are genuinely, truly committed to this. 
with those that you're speaking to, with those that you are introducing yourself to, believe that. Would they see that? You see, the important thing that we've got to understand when we think about identity, we've talked about this in different ways, in different forms too, we are not what we do. We're not what we do. We're not where we come from. We're not our ethnicity. We're not our aspirations. I'm going to be the CEO of a company someday. That's who I am. Right? We're not that. We're not our aspirations. We're not our accomplishments. I'm an accomplished athlete. I'm an accomplished musician. I'm an accomplished software engineer. I'm an accomplished whatever. I'm an accomplished doctor. We're not, we're not that. We are who we are because we are defined by the gospel. Now, let me, let me make this very clear. Paul describes himself as a Jew. He describes himself as a Roman citizen. He talks about his heritage. He talks about where he's from. He talks about all these things that he cares about for the Jews, his people. And in the book of, the Rome, of Romans, we're going to come into some very distinct sections where he talks about how we should think about the Jewish people. But clearly he's writing. He's saying these things and he's expressing himself to say, those are not the things that define me. Those are the things that are characteristic of my temporary life on this earth. And one day when I'm joined with Jesus in heaven, none of those things will even be valid. None of those things will even be visible. And so, how do we define ourselves? How do we identify ourselves? How do we present ourselves? Do we say things that we mean because we are defined by the gospel? Because the gospel has transformed us, changed us from the inside out. Not changed us from the outside in, a lot of Christians today look different than somebody else in the world because they've been changed from the outside in. Somebody from the outside said, you should do this. You should go there. Don't say this. Don't do that. Give this. Don't do that. Don't dress like this. Dress like that. We've been told from the outside. And you do a certain thing. When all of that outside circumstances change, when somebody else now says to you, oh, no, 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 that's all wrong. You should be doing this. If, an, if there isn't an internal transformation that has taken place in you, if you're not changed by the gospel, if you're not living out the gospel because it's coming from the inside, when those external circumstances change, you will change right with it. Now, let me also say this. It is absolutely valid for you to ask questions. If you have grown up all your life hearing the gospel message and being familiar with the gospel message to the point that you think you know the gospel message or that you believe the gospel message or that you're living out the gospel message but you really haven't been and now you have a question about it, now you have a doubt about it, now you're not so sure. Am I truly saved? Have I been transformed by the gospel? Did I yield as a slave to Christ? Did I say, Lord Jesus, come and change me? Did I really do that? If you are asking that question, and if you're saying, is this all true? I mean, is this, 
claim that Jesus came, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again, is this all true? If you're asking that question, that's fine. That's more than okay. Because guess what? God is much bigger than your questions. And if you're having doubts, if you're having concerns, if you're being confronted by somebody who's challenging the gospel message itself, that's perfectly all right. Respond to it. Deal with it. Grapple with it. Go to the Lord and ask him for help to say, Lord God, how do I deal with this? How should I understand your call, your message, your truth? How should I understand the gospel? By all means, do it. But, when we understand this and comprehend this, we can say that the gospel doesn't just define who we are individually, it also defines who we are collectively as the church. The gospel defines who I am, the gospel defines who we are. In his book, Making Peace, Jim Van Yiprin, the founder of Metanoia Ministries, he writes this, a spirit-formed community is defined by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A spirit-formed community is defined by the gospel. When the church centers around people who lead or minister out of their knowledge, experience, or gifts, the church's identity is inevitably tied to the ego and self-esteem of the people. It becomes performance-based, as we were reminded in the call to worship. Success or failure is measured by the growth and size of the church, the number of conversions, the latest facility expansion, or whether people approve of the sermons, the music, or so forth. Identity is measured by position, power, and accomplishment. When the church is formed around self-esteem, we condemn our members to live lonely, powerless lives, each one trying to grow in human strength. In biblical community, by contrast, when the church is formed by the gospel, believers grow up together as all submit to the truth of Scripture and to the operation of God's Spirit to and through one another. Instead of gathering around the personality and gifts of people, instead of going to church to boost my self-esteem, have my needs met, or even increase my knowledge, I gather with brothers and sisters in mutual submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ to serve as slaves of Christ. We meet one another at the foot of the cross, becoming the body of Christ, a living witness to what is possible when people live into the death, resurrection, and life, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. When people live the gospel. The gospel defines who I am, the gospel defines who we are, and the gospel, most interestingly, also defines who Jesus is. Although Jesus was known as a carpenter, isn't this the carpenter's son? Right? Jesus was known as a miracle worker. Jesus was known as a healer. 
Jesus was known as a teacher. Jesus was known as good. Good teacher, good, good master, good Lord. You know, what should we do? Jesus was known as compassionate. Jesus was known as caring. Ultimately, though, he is known in terms of how he fulfilled the gospel. Notice what Paul writes in Romans 1, verses 2 to 4. It was the gospel God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son that defined Jesus. It was Jesus' earthly life, death on the cross, and resurrection from the dead through the spirit of holiness. The precise fulfillment of the plan of salvation, that's what defined Jesus. It is the clear differentiator. The fact that Jesus is defined by this gospel message, it is the clear differentiator between Jesus and every other good man or great leader or powerful religious figure. There are plenty of those. But Jesus wasn't just any one of those things or just all of those things. He was fulfilling the gospel. And that's what's the distinctive definition or distinction about Jesus. The gospel, God's redemption of fallen humanity from sin and death by paying the penalty of sin so that we may be reconciled to God for eternity, that's what gives us true meaning, what defines us. Which means that as we hear all of these truths, we respond and apply by calling others to be defined by the gospel. Now, as I said it right at the beginning, and I'll mention it again here, you have to first be yourself defined by the gospel. We can't call others to the gospel unless you are defined to the gospel. Otherwise, you're going to be like the sons of Sceva who came and who said, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, we cast out this demon. And the demon said, I know Paul, and I know, or I know Jesus, and I've heard about Paul. Who are you? You go to somebody and you say, hey, you need to be called to the gospel. You need to be called to obedience. You need to live in obedience. You need to live out the gospel of Jesus. They're going to go, I've heard about Jesus and I've heard about the gospel. Who are you? The gospel has to define us. The gospel has to transform us. Then, just like Paul said, be like me except for my chains, we'll be able to say to somebody else, let me tell you about this gospel that has changed my life. Let me tell you about this gospel that has transformed me. Let me tell you about this gospel that gives me life. This is not something that is just temporary. This is eternal. This is not something that is, you know, for a season, this is permanent. Let me tell you about this gospel. And that's why when in verses 5 and 6, Paul says that through Jesus... We've received grace. We've received the apostleship. The same call that was on Paul is on us. We may not, we're not called apostles ourselves, but we have received the same call. We've been told, go and tell people about Jesus. We have the same call to go to all the Gentiles and to call them to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. We're calling everyone to belong to Jesus Christ.
This is the power of the gospel. This is the call, the mandate of the gospel. This is what we are to live out. So for the rest of our series, I want to emphasize that you know, when you read through the rest of the book of Romans, 16 chapters, just read through it. It won't take you that long. There are some things in there that are deeper and that you want to spend some time on. So I'm not saying to you just read it through quickly, skim it. You know, try to study it, go through it, study, you know, go through the book of Romans, get commentaries, get any help that you want. Do things that are necessary to let this word start getting into you. And then every Sunday when we get together, we want to keep going through this book portion by portion, verse by verse, to say, how should we live out the gospel? How should we live out these truths? How should these things become so real in our lives that we're not saying, well, I, I, I need to do something. We simply are something. We are the children of God. We are those that have been cleansed and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We are the gospel personified. That's the call that we have. So just as the gospel is the theme of the book of Romans, we start out today by recognizing that everything has to be defined by the gospel. Everything has to be defined by the details of this gospel message. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that, Lord, we are embarking on a very exciting journey as we go through the book of Romans, a book that has affected the lives of so many people and has made such a significant transformation in the lives of such prominent leaders that they then affected the rest of Christianity. And we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that that has happened. But we don't just want to read about somebody else's transformation. Lord, this morning as we embark on this series, we want to commit ourselves to a personal and corporate transformation. Lord, you change us. You work in us. You cause us, Lord, to live out the gospel. And as we live out this gospel, I pray that our lives individually our families, our marriages, how we parent our children, Lord, our performance in the workplace, Lord, our interactions with people, how we introduce ourselves, how we think of ourselves, the identity that we hold on to. Let everything, everything be transformed. Lord, for those that have never come into those understandings and realizations, let it all be freshly renewed or put in place. But for those, Lord, who have, who have understood this, who are walking it out, let there be further refinement, enhancements, purification, sanctification, so that, Lord, collectively, collectively, we will, as a church, grow and mature in the Lord Jesus. We are anticipating that, Lord. We are expectant for that. Lord, we want to step into that, even as the word was given for us, the word of encouragement to step into what the Lord has for us. Thank you, Lord. Guide and lead our steps. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.